Ah, hello everyone. Sorry to start the show off with a burp, but I've had three cans of Monster. Oh, good start. Keeping yourself on your feet. <laughs> I had to. I had to. I I had the worst migraine in Yorkshire today. Yeah. The worst migraine in all of Yorkshire. And the survey results are back in, are they? It is. It is. And that, that includes uh, uh, Sheffield. So that's pretty bad. I've got a tummy ache. Oh no! Probably from drinking Monster and eating Viennese Worlds. <laughs> um, Kipling brand, of course. Look, some, sometimes you get power bombed off of off of uh, off of the ropes, oh. and you you need to have some recovery snacks. I'm in pain. I it's not that bad actually. Look, maybe you shouldn't have gone around breaking people's nails at the weekend. There are consequences for your actions. I mean, advice. From me to the listener, if you're ever in a wrestling match with a drag queen, don't break a nail. You'll have your fucking face slapped off. To be clear, you can break one of your own nails. That's fine. Don't break the drag queen's nails. Right? Yeah. I think it was pre-broken and Priscilla was blaming me. Look, I'm I'm, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this. I have never seen someone in a wrestling match, like, have an anime transformation, like, go Super Saiyan the way that... Priscilla did upon that nail getting broken. Oh yeah, the moment the nail was broken, everything changed. It's like, oh yeah, I've I've unlocked like the secret technique that allows me to like triple my strength all of a sudden. Yeah, and and it was strong. <laughs> I I have never been slapped so many times in a wrestling match. It must have been about twenty. Priscilla's move set is like almost entirely slaps to the face, just in different ways. So yeah, yeah, all of this is to say Spectrum Wrestling, the um, promotion that I um, founded myself with Phoenix, uh, uh, we had our first show, Rejoice, uh, on Saturday, this Saturday past, and it was a massive success in that it didn't lose a massive amount of money which in indie wrestling is superb. That's big, yeah. You managed to have a promotion where your first event sold out and was profitable, technically. And you didn't have to file bankruptcy, actually. Yes, That's... I, yeah, let's, let's not... Let's not overrate the pudding with the the profitable word. You know, I really do think that there is a a, a real niche opportunity... Uh, just from having observed the indie circuit here, I do feel like there is a niche opportunity in financial services for independent wrestling companies. You know, just somebody to tell them, hey, make an LLC just for the show. Yeah. Then it can go bankrupt. Well, the first bit of advice I'd give any indie wrestling promotion is pay your workers. Yeah. 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 We're, we're the first trans-led wrestling promotion to pay its wrestlers. <laughs> How about that? Sorry, I'm just throwing shade at uh, WrestleQueerdom again. Yeah. Well, I know that that's something people grapple with. Indeed. Indeed. Also, Conrad, you said the word grapple, and I appreciate that. It was good. You're very welcome. It was good. Uh, so, yes, it was excellent. Um, the the night started with um man like Darice wrapping his own entrance with a silver jacket with shoulders that reached above his head. Oh, the the very, like, Power Rangers-esque yeah. shoulder pads going on. Oh. Having to wrestle a, a clown that speaks gibberish, who also <laughs> rapped, uh, who was accompanied by Freaky Felicia, who could only be described as a living puppet, 
the way she moves. What if a murder clown had a, a nose swirl and could do hypnotism? Yeah, so so man like Therese had to grapple, uh, ah, I said it too, uh, <laughs> with hypnotism, uh, which I didn't know was going to be done. But the moment I, I heard what went down like and saw it, like I was thrilled because I wanted Spectrum to be UK's Chikara. And hypnotism is exactly what we needed for that. Look, I, I didn't know it was coming, but once I saw it, I got to have a wonderful com- uh, conversation with uh, with Simon Miller about yes. is hypnotism technically interference in a match if it's... Is non-physical interference technically interference? It's interference, but at Spectrum, we play a little loose. Like, so long as no one's getting hit in the face with a chair, it's up to the ref's discretion. And she may have been, our ref Santi may have been a little bit under the spell herself at points. My assumption had been, look, this is a first promotion for a, for a, for a new wrestling event. No one has thought to put hypnotism is forbidden on the rule sheet. No. Just it hadn't come up in the pre-prep. <laughs> it, it wasn't in the manual. And therefore, it was fine. Um, speaking of fine, a fine... In, no, that undersells it. A miraculous job was done by Laura in making the livestream part happen. It was technically viewable. I mean, the technical issues does not <laughs> do justice to the, the the sheer volume of issues we had. Last minute problems. Technically, we couldn't even live stream it because... Uh, the one insurance company that insured the event yeah, allowed broadcasts on live stream platforms. So we had to run it with a delay, which was a last minute problem, which Laura managed to solve. That was like Wednesday or Thursday night, I think, getting a message going, can we have either the whole stream on a delay or can we have you live, but the footage taking like X amount of time to get from that room to this room? And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, yes. It was fucking mayhem. Oh. It was mayhem. Um, it was also just lovely to see you, uh, Laura. It's uh, always, always a pleasure. It was um, lovely to sprint repeatedly past <laughs> you. Yes, yeah, that was basically <laughs> it. Uh, our hanging out um, consisted of sprinting past each other as we we performed our various duties. Um, we had Laura running back and forth, having to test the tech, and me running from wrestler to wrestler, making sure that all the matches were in order. And they were all fantastic. Every wrestler turned up, which Hooray! for a wrestling event is really difficult to. It, it's a it's a rarity, a rare treat. Yeah. I didn't have to learn about any new wrestlers two minutes before the live stream and suddenly have yeah. to have something to say about them. That was lovely. Well, except for except for one who was like just a well. surprise for everyone. Like I didn't know that Vucek. We later found out it was a, a, a Czechoslovakian um, fighter known as Vucek who terrifies me. Oh, is is that that one person who came up on stage at that one point and I was like, oh no, have I forgotten something in my notes? It's just, no, no. He blindsided all of Spectrum uh, by, by um, appearing and, and choking out one of our performers. So, uh, who knows what will what will happen in future um, regarding Tonga and Vucek and uh, Jack Maxwell. One of my favourite um, in UK indie performers. Uh, we had a lot of new talent. Uh, for some, it was their very first booking, despite being really talented. Um, we had some talent who were like, this is great because some UK promotions book us once and then don't have us back because they don't know what to do with us. My answer to that is give them to me. Yay. I'll find something for clowns and, and old school mustachio gentlemen 
gentleman. <gasps> oh, I've just I've just had a thought. I've just had a thought, and I have to say it out loud because I need you to know this stuff. Tea Party Deathmatch Part Two. Get the clowns in the ring for the tea party. I mean, I I we will definitely be doing a tea party deathmatch again. <laughs> How no one has booked these clowns to be involved in a tea-based wrestling match surprises me. Yeah. And Spectrum Wrestling is the kind of place that could happen. Oh, it's the it's in the UK it might be the only place it could happen. And you know, we'll make sure that we bring a massive bag of Yorkshire tea again, which got one of the biggest pops of the night. Oh the yes, oh the the barbarism. We had a big bag of Yorkshire tea, which <laughs> is the tea that I personally drink. If we if you know, if Yorkshire Tea wants to sponsor us. But yeah, the crowd saw that and just popped and just went, Yorkshire Tea, Yorkshire Tea, because we had the best crowd ever. The landed gentry came out, the Tories, and everyone started chanting, who wrestles in chinos? Who wrestles in chinos? So that was good. Uh, it was just a great night. I don't want to um, linger too much, they said, after 10 minutes, because uh, I know not everyone <laughs> cares for the wrestling. But, you know, this was a massive fucking deal. This was a dream for me. This was... Something we put together from our brains. Like, I saw wrestlers before the show uh, working out matches that I came up with. And it was intimidating. Because I'm like, God, I, I had this idea for these people to fight these people. And now they're here and it's happening. And, and But the crowd was reacting exactly how I hoped they would for every match. And not one match had a quiet reaction. And I got powerbombed off the second rope and landed directly on my hernia. I mean, again, you shouldn't have broken broken a drag queen's nail. Well, here's the thing. That's on you. My back felt great the next day. Yeah. I think it temporarily, like, it's still up to its old tricks now, but I think temporarily it, it, it like, shoved it back in. It shoved all the spine jelly back in the spine jelly hole. So I felt all right after that, although it was a massive... The DDT I took trying to do my Planet Cracker, uh, that was that was a rattler. But it, I had a... That was my best match I've ever had. It went near 15 yeah, minutes, yeah. which, you know, I wanted to do a... A lot of my singles matches, uh, like, you know, eight... Five to eight minute affairs. I turn up, I bounce someone around, uh, and that's about it. I wanted a proper back and forth match that lasted a good amount of time, and that's what I did. And it it went so well. Debuted my vertical stalling suplex, mm. uh, which I've been looking forward to doing, where I hold up a, a, another adult human being. You hold a human above your head for a while? Yeah, could have gone longer strength-wise, but you know, you have to obey balance. Um, so once you feel them toppling, you sort of have to obey that. Um, but my my goal is to hold someone up for 40 seconds before dropping them. Did that. Debuted my uh, springboard backwards Vader bomb elbow drop, um, which was so crisp, uh, and walked away with the win. Even if Priscilla did slap me silly, walk me around on the end of a leash, uh, and uh, just generally put me through my paces. But yeah, Spectrum Wrestling was amazing. Um, it was great to see Laura, who did fantastically, and we had Jane on um, taking pictures, and they've come out really nice. Um, just thanks to PPW um, for for hosting us, and especially Liam Slater, who like he's my trainer, and he did uh, sort of some warm up stuff to keep the crowd ticking over while we got to set up. It was just great. 
it was just great. Um, thank you, everyone. Yes, Liam bought 10 minutes while I had to redo the half an hour pre-show in 10 mm-hmm. minutes because of tech issues. Liam bought me 10 minutes and, and I great. will be ever appreciative of that. And he, you know, he was taking care of the PPW talent, like the people I train alongside, who many of whom this was either their first or their biggest booking ever. And he was, he's done it with me at like North Wrestling, just going over Matt my matches and making sure I'm okay with sort of my big, like the professional side outside of training. And he's just great. Honestly, best trainer in the country, far as I'm concerned. Thank you everyone who turned up. Like we had a sold out crowd and it was easily the best crowd I've ever performed in front of. Like it was, it was lovely. The atmosphere was amazing. You could tell, you can tell a crowd that's there because it wants to see what it's watching succeed, if that makes sense. Yeah. You get people who turn up and they're like, I want to be entertained by wrestling, and if it's no good, I'm not going to be into it. I'm not going to play along. This was a crowd that was booing me at first because they sensed sort of a heelish start to the match. And I wasn't worried because I knew this crowd was so into what was going on that when the story of the match shifted... They'd shift. They were just that that willing to see everything succeed the way we wanted it to. So it was perfect. Um, and now I will move us on to the, to the business of the day. Uh, thank you, everyone, for being patient. Hi, hi, Conrad, who's also here. Hello. <laughs> yeah, Conrad, hello. Hi. You all right? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm getting by. Yeah, you've been... Uh, Streaming the Alex Jones trial. Oh, I have. It's been it's been terribly depressing. Yeah. Twitch TV slash that Conrad Zimmerman. By the That's way, true. The That's true. That's true. Yeah, that it's happening right now in Connecticut. Yeah. Has it stopped being funny? Because I know at first it was very funny. Well, I mean, there were there were some entertaining bits, like seeing Alex Jones's lawyer Norm Pattis tell the judge effectively that it was the judge's responsibility to control his client was Mm. very entertaining wow yeah and he's he's a i think scumbag Mm -hmm. i think yeah i'd go with scumbag he's defending alex jones well it's true but his his strategy seems to be to uh illustrate that the plaintiffs in the case uh, by virtue of having started charitable organizations in the names of their children and going to work for them full time and profiting from the death of their kids. It is Fucking hell. incredibly foul. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And so we're going to see some of that, I think, uh, uh, coming here pretty soon in the next couple days. And, and Alex Jones fled to Austin um, because, you know, he pissed off the judge real bad. And, uh, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. It's because nuclear war was about to happen. And and, and no doubt Connecticut was going to be the epicenter of that. So you have to, you know, get out and get to your family, right? It's Connecticut. Austin also seems like a really likely target. (sighs) I'll have to just keep moving. Yeah. 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 Oh, before we get on to, oh, what are they called? Vid. Vid, vid, vid something. Vid, vid, video g- games? Ah, that's the one. Um, I also just wanted to say that, like, um, Phoenix had their first go at ring announcing this weekend as well. Phoenix was great. Fucking yeah. brilliant. Killed it. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, also, it was also Laura's first commentary um, with Simon Miller. Yeah. Yeah. And she did great. Uh, it mm-hmm. was, yeah, fucking, like, I was laughing at 
the deathmatch commentary. A wrestling event definitely is a lengthy amount of time to have to be aware of what's happening and be be on. Oh, but yeah. I did it. I came out the other end. It was like I'm ready for a lie down. Yeah, commentators like uh, have to be on for the entire event. Yeah, it's them and referees like have really tough jobs. Um, but yeah, so off off the wrestling. But yeah, Fee was fucking impressive. Yeah. And now we can talk about. Oh god! I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna guess over there, comrade. What video games have you played this week? Video games. That's it. I played Trombone Champ. Oh, I've seen meme videos about this shit. I haven't got round to it myself. Please tell me about it. How are you finding Trombone Champ? I really like the game. It is. It, it's from Holy Wow Studios. They did Icarus Proud Bottom, teaches typing, and that whole weirdness thing and once i knew that i knew kind of what i was in for in terms of sense of weirdness and it delivers on that the game for those who don't know is it's a rhythm music game specifically centered around the trombone as an instrument mm. you have notes you move the slide up and down with the mouse and when you click or use the keyboard as recommended by the game, mm. um, it, you blow the trombone. And so it's about blowing as indicated, releasing as indicated, and being in the right range of the note. It's very fast. Yes. At its base setting. You can reduce the speed by 40%, um, which makes almost every level of the game pretty tolerable to get through without too much of a struggle, at least for me. There's a lot of tracks that at 100% speed, I'm just like, how is anyone keeping up with this? The secret is they're not. They're flailing along with it, and that's kind of the point. <laughs> yeah. It has... I don't want to, like... I don't want to get too spoilery with it. Yeah. But I also... Don't know how much there is to spoil. I think that the thing to talk the, that like I find myself wanting to talk about with it because like at its face there is the gimmick. It is music rhythm game about playing the trombone, but it's hard to play the trombone properly because it's deliberately designed to make you play it badly. But like, there's a lot of really smart technical choices they've made to lean into as much as possible making being bad at playing music but trying anyway be something fun. It is largely, I, th I think, near exclusively public domain tracks, or at the very least existing tracks that most people are going to know. There's about four or five of these that are original compositions by Holy wow, are people associated with them? The rest of them are, they're mostly folk songs or national anthems and yeah. Yeah, it's it's largely things that you know how they're supposed to sound. So it's, you know, leaning into, haha, that doesn't sound how it's supposed to. And you know that. But it also, at the same time, that level of familiarity actually makes it possible to play them. Right. You you can predict, is the is the, the tone going up or down? That's all you really need to know to fumble through. Right, because, like, there are songs in here that I was only marginally less familiar with than other ones hmm. that I, but still was conscious of, I knew they were, and struggled with them. It's surprising how much muscle memory knowing a song gives you for this up or down sliding mechanic. Right. If you've played, like, a Guitar Hero and stuff like that, there is zero 
locking you into you're close enough to the right note, so we're just going to play the right note. There is none of that. It is just, it's going to be wobbly and messy and imprecise. Well, I don't know that I, I don't know that I agree with that. I think it's pretty forgiving on the range that it will acknowledge you are scoring points on. It's more about the timing in terms of the scoring. Now, in terms of what you're hearing, you'd have to be exactly on for it to sound right. And that's where it works well. Here's the thing, though. Timing doesn't factor into your score. Did, do you know this, Conrad? Well, that's the multi- it's the multiplier success for hitting a dude. Yeah. It's about when you end it on... When you start it and when you end it, that's where the timing comes in and that plays into the multiplier. The actual scoring comes in while you're holding the note accurately. Yeah, which I think is like, there's there's so many like weird choices in this that are not how music rhythm games are done that I kind of really like. Yeah, I like the way the music game plays. It gets very tedious because of the limitations of the track selection. Um, I I found myself primarily as I was reaching the climax of the game, increasingly just playing national anthems with the, uh, the fart noise. <laughs> yes. Uh, because that, that was what was still entertaining for me. Uh, now, actually, I like the original compositions a lot. Trombone in the Sky, I think it's called, or Trombone Dreams. I can't remember. That's a super fun song to play. It's a fun song to listen to. I really like that. Uh, there's one, I think it was called, like, Baboon, I think, that's, that, that was pretty fun. Baboon's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun because it, it really plays with your expectations of rhythm and timing yes. in some fun ways. Uh, it, yeah, the original tracks are really fun, and I like them. Then there's the hidden stuff in the game. Yes. And this, I think, is fun and well executed to a point. Hmm. Uh, that point being the very end. I, I'm i not quite there yet, but... You could be. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, may, maybe I am, who knows? There is a... The, the final boss of this game, once you get access to it, requires a sequence of things to be in place that are so arcane that like there are other things that are very clearly pointed to and illustrated that you can have done and set up and be right about, but it doesn't really indicate where you would discover this other element. And you might've seen it. I have a sneaking suspicion where, where this might be, but yeah. Yeah. And so I think that aspect of it needs simply to be communicated better. I don't have a problem with the implementation. It's the ways in which the game communicates what you need to do might need to be a little more direct for this one piece. Other than that, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of silly fun. And I can't say I'm surprised that once some major press outlet in games got a hold of it and actually looked at it that it would blow up uh which it seems to have done quite a bit and uh great for them uh it's a very little small tiny game it's 15 bucks and i i got a full good day of entertainment out of it so um yeah 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 i like it i like it a lot it is a fun little silly time that is exactly as much 
of a fun time as I anticipated it, and that I'm I doubt I'm going to be talking about it more than a, you know into next week. But that's just fine. Yeah, it has the risk of overstaying its welcome if you are frustrated by a failure to complete it. Yes, but that's the only problem I have. What about you, Steph? What have you been playing this week? I've played a couple of things. Um, chiefly, I'm on my pin bullshit again. Yeah. With uh, an interesting development in my uh, love of pinball. Mm. I never thought I would ever have my own like full-size pinball table. Right. Like the kind you get at arcades. But... I've mentioned before, because I think I mentioned I acquired a um, full-size pub roulette machine mm-hmm. um based on the uh based on deal or no deal the uk one for those um uh, interested with noel edmonds that's in my garage well i don't think uh i i don't think they made one available for the us one because howie mandel won't let anyone touch him oh wow that's just just a little howie mandel trivia and yeah he's he's really? got a you know oh a personal space thing that is respected hey you know what fair enough yep. fair enough i respect that um you probably wouldn't have had one like it anyway, because uh, pub fruit machines are a very particular kind of thing. They are confusing. Oh, no, we've got, yeah, our casinos are full of them. I have, you know, I used to go to the Boravage in Mississippi, and they had some slot machines built into the bar, and they just ply you with three drinks so long as you were pressing the button. Yep. It's brilliant. I got so fucking wasted. Oh, yeah, that's what I would do whenever I'd go to Vegas. Yeah. I'd just go to one of the casino bars with, a, like, a, a black a video blackjack, and I'd sit there and drink mm-hmm. for, you know, I'd get hammered for five bucks. Next to all the grandmas, because like, yep. all the old women congregate there. Because they know. Because they fucking know. They know. Of course they know. That's w- that's the wisdom of age. Yes. <laughs> um, so, yes, I've got that. But I acquired that at an auction because Fee's dad is like really into um, local auctions and you do get some interesting stuff. Uh, I got that Wii that I mentioned uh, yeah, that we have for the occasional feature Stephanie's Wii Corner. I got that. I got the, the fruit machine, got a box full of random Pokemon crap and Happy Meal toys. <gasps> Just interesting stuff that like I've got super cheap. And speaking of getting super cheap, I mean, it was still a lot of money. But considering I got it for five thousand pounds more than it's actually worth, you mean less? Less than less. Less than. than oh yeah, that would have been <laughs> terrible. That would have been terrible. You you overspent five grand for a thing. Cool. Yep. Keep going. Yeah, that's really braggable. Um, for five thousand pounds less than it's worth, just a fucking steal. But I got my hands on um, High Speed Two: The Getaway. Which is a, a Williams pinball table. Uh, Williams being one of the probably the most famous manufacturer of pinball machines. It is one of the sort of most desired pinball machines, and it was just at a random auction in Yorkshire, which I, as I said, got for a fraction of what it's worth. It is fucking awesome. I don't have it in the house just yet. It's still with uh, Fee's dad. It needs a little love, 
very little like it's in really good nick but it needs a good proper clean some of the rubbers on the flippers need to be redone i've ordered like a a, a full rubber re like redo kit for it a um, little bit of a crack at the top which sort of in the machine which can be fixed i've got to clear out all the spiders that have made home in it you don't get any extra points if you hit them is the problem um, I haven't been hitting spiders, if anyone's concerned. It's got a red police siren light on top of it that spins round and round like the intro to Police Squad. Thank you very much. Happy with that. Um, got a video mode. Uh, got a big metal ramp with a magnetic accelerator in it so that the ball can spin round and round and round really fast. Instead of the usual plunger that you pull back and let go, it's got a gear stick. And you just push that down, the ball goes flying, and during play, the ga- uh, the machine will go shift gears, and then you shift gears, and that'll sort of add new features to the, um, the game as you play it. Loads of lights, all, all the accoutrements that one would expect of a pinball table. I fucking, I am so happy. Because, as I said, never thought I'd own one of these, because of the cost. Yay! And it's really hard to find some of them, and this is like, this is one that is particularly... It's not like the rarest machine in the world, but it's not common. It is very desirable. So I am thrilled. Um, and that was that's something that's taken up a fair bit of my time. Looking forward to restoring it and then bringing it into sort of my main room here. It's going to look great in the corner. Ooh. Yeah, just so fucking happy. Feast Dad said what I should do is get like some mirrors, put it in the corner of a room, get mirrors on each sort of corner wall, and then just the whole room will be lit the fuck up when that siren light goes off i might try that that sounds that sounds fun so yeah um i've I've been playing the getaway uh no high speed to the getaway pinball table which i now have and god i'm fucking made up with it fucking thrilled Uh, so that was the first thing i played what has other people done playing of I've dipped my toes into a bunch of small little things, a bunch of mm-hmm. demos and that sort of thing. Um, there's one I wanted to give a shout out to, and it's another music rhythm thing I've been playing this week. Uh, I've been playing the demo for a little indie music rhythm game called Scratchin' Melody. It has an art style that is very reminiscent of something like a uh, like a WarioWare or an Elite Beat Agents in that kind of exaggerated 2D sort of art style. And thematically, it feels like it's trying to be something like a Parappa the Rapper type game in that it is a bunch of original songs that are all, they all have lyrics, they all have songs to them, and they are all about learning to do some kind of activity with a person around this sort of little community town. But the deal is that you're a kid who's gotten in trouble with the cops for putting graffiti everywhere, so you need to go get some jobs around town to do your community service and not be in trouble anymore. I really think there is something potentially quite special here if you like music rhythm games. I think the music is very catchy. I think for an indie project that's like got a demo on itch.io, the visuals are very impressive. Uh, it's got a really unique feel to it in that mm-hmm. the lyrics to all the songs are very clearly like auto-tuned like uh, vocaloids, like um, computerized digital voices that have been auto-tuned to where they need to be, and they've really leaned into the, this is not a real human singing and we're not even going to pretend it is, in a way that's pretty endearing. My biggest problem 
is that this demo is way too difficult for me. Oh no. It goes very fast. It can be played with either controller or keyboard, and it will very quickly throw a lot of very precise inputs at you. And I feel like, for me, I would need a slightly easier entry point to it. That being said, the music's good enough that I stuck with the demo and kept trying at these tracks, and they weren't changing up the note tracks as you went through it, so I could sort of muscle memory it a little bit and, and get through. I love everything other than the speed at which I have to keep up with the music rhythm game. And I think there could be something really special here with that one caveat. Um, it, it's definitely worth going and giving a look. What about you, Conrad? You played anything else this week? Uh, well, let's see. Oh, I went and played a little bit of my time at Porsche. Mm -hmm. um, because I've been playing my time at Sandrock. And it has really driven home for me how far along Sandrock is in terms of being just a better experience, which isn't to say my time at Porsche is bad. I, it's a game I invested hundreds of hours in, I think. Mm. But everything is so much more streamlined and player forward, um, in addition to just looking better. And it's it's interesting because there are a lot of things about Sandrock that I, I as I'm playing them, like the combat... I just sort of accept that the combat is a little bit mediocre. But now that I've been playing Portia, the things that they've implemented to improve combat in, in Sandrock make Portia look really not great. Um, so I'm, I'm pleased with Sandrock is what I'm saying. And I'm, I'm still having fun playing Portia, but uh, mm. there's that. The other thing that I've revisited in the past week, and I'm still working through it is uh i started playing bioshock 2 oh. mm. because it had occurred to me i was talking to my partner linda about bioshock infinite because that's a game that pops up in my mind a lot like i, I think about bioshock infinite a lot for just no good reason it doesn't merit this much of my attention but it just comes into my head frequently and then we got to talking about the series as a whole and i realized that i just I couldn't fucking remember anything about Bioshock 2. Like, I remember Sophia Lamb being a character. Someone who is, like, crucially important to the history of Rapture, but you never heard about her. Right? Not a trace of her in the first game, but suddenly, like, the most important thing, who has cassette tapes about her everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, I remember you are a big daddy. I remember your general goal. Uh, but that was it. And as I play through it, I know why that is. Mm -hmm. It's that none of the characters in this are uh, approach the level of the characters in the original Bioshock. Pretty much, yeah. I like Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great's very interesting. In fact, I'm I am going at this point in the game. I am passing through uh, Fontaine yeah. Futuristics and and doing the Alexander the Great. You're right for the most part in that. Yeah, they don't. There's no one who's standing because even the small incidental characters in the first one are pretty bold personalities, and some of the ones in Bioshock Two are just almost matter of fact. They're just there. Well, in a way, they're all really pale reflections of characters in Bioshock One, right? Like, uh, you've got the scientist, you know, you, you, that's that's Gil Alexander. He, he is the Sushong of Bioshock 2. Yeah. Right? Um, and you have 
Stanley Poole. I love the whole Stanley Poole Dionysus Park story, but it's not anywhere near as interesting as, say, Sandra Cohen or even uh, the... The, the doc, the, the plastic surgeon from the very first sequence in Bioshock. Nobody in this is anywhere near as memorable, and that's why I forgot them all. Like, I forgot about Alexander the Great. I didn't realize he existed again until I saw I was like, oh yeah, there was this thing, wasn't there? I guess that was neat. Mm-hmm. Like, I would play Bioshock again with its myriad faults and shortcomings in comparison to some of the general design and ideas gameplay-wise that are introduced in Bioshock 2, I would still take the first one over it any day of the week. Uh, it's, it's remarkable. Just the consistency of the narrative in Bioshock 1 uh, that is absent from this. Okay, You mean to tell me that this character who... Uh, has been around, as you point out, from the, you know, like, they were in Rapture 10 years ago. Why didn't I hear about them? Their ideology is centered around the complete eradication of the self and individualism, but their goal is to create a singular utopian individual. Mm -hmm. Am I... Like, this isn't like... (laughs) This isn't like Andrew Ryan performing a you know hypocritical action that would betray his principles on the basis of self-interest because his principles are exclusively self-interest that works yeah that's ideologically consistent this i don't know what the fuck this is uh it's silly but it it is fun it's fun to play at least but I just, I'm, I'm so confused by all of it. Yeah, it was something of a confused game. Yeah. Yeah. Still, you've got the multiplayer to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about you, Steph? You played anything else this week? I have. I have. <gasps> Tell us about it. I've played two other games. One, I've got a, a, a ton of good stuff to say about it. The other one is uh, Dreamlight Valley. Imagine, I'm going to do Dreamlight Valley, might as well get it out of the way. This is a Disney thing, yeah. Yeah, imagine if Kingdom Hearts was Farmville. I'm in. You've just imagined Dreamlight Valley. I'm in, holy shit. Somebody had told me that I should check this out, and I ignored them, and I was wrong. The only thing I know about this is apparently it does have really good uh, character customization options in terms of, like, uh, particularly black hairstyles and uh, access to things like a variety of turbans in character creation. Yeah, yeah. That, those are both good things. I've written it off because it sounds like it's Disney Farmville. Yeah, you can mix femme body parts with, with mask features. And there, There's a lot of options um, in, in terms of what you said, like culturally, racially, stuff like that. Um, yeah, definitely inclusive. With a game as cynical as this, though, I can't help but feel, yeah, they want to appeal to more people to make more fucking money. But there's some stuff in here that is a really good example of how to offer diversity of character creation. Mm. Uh, the game also looks fucking gorgeous. Like, the, the colour scheme is just so, like, my kind of thing. Uh, it looks really good. They've done a good job of giving it an art style that makes sort of the disparate art styles of the different Disney properties mesh well together. It is interminably dull. 
Mm. I've seen people compare it to Animal Crossing. In fact, this came to my attention. I'd seen it in the store. Saw Disney, Dreamlight Valley, thought, oh, have they is that a new Disney film? I don't really care for licensed stuff that I'm never going to watch. So I ignored it. And then later found out, no, it's this sort of original Disney crossover thing. Um, but I read about it because someone, I forget who wrote the article, but there was an article about all the people comparing it to Animal Crossing and saying, no, no, like mechanically, spiritually, it's the opposite of Animal Crossing. It is, it's developed by Gameloft, who are mostly known for doing um, fairly blatant rip-off mobile games, creatively uh, ripping stuff off. Um, and I used to sort of, I used to like their work back in the day because it was a ripoff. It was like shameless, but it was also like this was before big companies gave a shit mostly about um, mobile gaming. So it was like, okay, Gameloft are doing mechanically pretty decent mobile games that work with a touchscreen. So if I want like a mobile version of Halo or or Call of Duty or whatever, they're doing it like a, a pretty decent forgery um so so i was fine with that but they are cynical mobile developers they occupy that side of let's make a quick buck and that's what this game is the dna of that of, of gameloft's core work is in this um there are microtransactions i will say that in the um, i've played it for a couple hours they've not dropped the hammer yet i'm waiting but they've not dropped the hammer yet but I can see where it's going because it is such a grind. Mm. It's, it's, you've seen it. It's fucking run around this sort of map, breaking rocks, planting plants, gathering crops. It's all of that. It's stuff we've all seen a dozen fucking times. It's, it's really not that comparable to Animal Crossing. You get Disney characters wandering around, you unlock those. Uh, during the course of play and you can like develop friendships with them which unlocks more stuff but it takes fucking ages to do that and then fucking ages to unlock uh, new areas of the map and fucking ages to dig a hole and put the seed in the hole and water the plant and wait for it to grow and gather the plant and do it again and again and again it is one of them games i've played it's i've, I've played it pretty dedicated for the past couple hours not really taking my eyes off it but not because i'm having fun necessarily it's just got that loop mm -hmm. it's just got that reel you in it's something repetitive to just do i am probably not going to be playing this in a week's time i will get my sort of little hyperfixation over with and move on because it, it it's just a grind uh the idea ain't too shabby sort of if you did this slice of life sim thing where you're building stuff up and, and you know, Wally and Wreck-It Ralph and sort of Moana and everything are sort of wandering about. But, God, I if I never have to fucking dig a hole and plant a seed and water a crop again, I'll be fucking thrilled. Like, I get... I've, I'm finding that dreary in good games, let alone one that's been designed to, to sucker you in. Um, and this one's particularly egregious in insofar as, you know, it's so aimed towards being appealing to kids. 
and it's got microtransactions and well that yeah that i can't get behind yeah Mm. and it's just a sorry state of of gaming where the game starts up and it's like oh you get to meet your favorite disney characters and what a fun time you'll have for all the family now scroll through this eula now scroll through our terms of service and your permissions and shit. And, and why not get a parent or guardian to look at it? And I'm like, Jesus Christ, like, like this is conditioning. This is getting, like, I've seen the conditioning over the 10 years I've, I've been examining the game industry. Like, you get these younger people who grew up with all this shit and now they're like, what are you talking about? What's the problem? We're, this is normal. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, no, this is not normal. This is exploitation. And it's particularly cynical, bordering on hypocritical with this game where it's like, oh, this used to be a place of magic and friendship and, and, and wholesome fun, but everyone's forgotten that. And I'm like, yeah, they sure have, Disney. Not that you ever sort of truly believed any of that to begin with, but it's just sad. It's just sad. That is a shame. It's not a badly made game. It looks lovely. Uh, it does have that addictive loop, but it is a product. It's a product made by a corporation yes. that desperately wants money out of people. That feeds into this, you know, the further exploitation we're seeing of crossover products, mm. metaverse shit. It's. I'm just it's already going the way i predicted it a few weeks ago when i did a a video on multiverses and everyone said like they've said every time i've said like every time i've seen things go down a dark path everyone like every time i've been told i'm making mountains out of molehills i'm imagining the worst but we're already seeing this multiverse shit get driven into the fucking ground, get taken to ridiculous extremes, and lead to bland products. Mm. Not a product that are designed purely for the sake of making money in the quickest, dirtiest way possible. And yeah, I, that's what this is. It's it's not badly made. Few of these things are at the moment. Like The effort's there, but it's effort in service to dark gods. Dreamlight Valley. Well... I'm going to rattle through a few demos that I saw this past week because I don't have a huge amount to say about them because most of them are just things I spent 10 minutes with on a show floor at a busy event. But uh, I went to Eurogamer uh, EGX uh, in London this this week for a couple of days. Here's a couple of things I saw that seem promising and are worth going and checking out a trailer for, if nothing else. Mail Time is an adorable little game about being a little mushroom-headed person delivering letters to woodland creatures in a cell-shaded forest. It's adorable. Okay, that does sound delightful. Here is the way I will sell this the, the game's particular le- flavour of adorable. Do you remember in uh, Wind Waker, the Zelda game, you could you could float around by holding a big leaf above your head? Yes. Yeah. You You can do that in this... But you hold a big letter above your head to glide around places. So you're just a, a tiny little mushroom person gliding around on a little letter to deliver a owl in a tree a letter. It's charming. It's got some really nice character customization stuff. Selection of um, pronouns that includes they them, uh, which is always nice to see included. It's it's a very charming little 
little pl- sort of 3D platformer slash conversations with cute little animals game. I started playing a game, uh, a demo for a game called Corpo Nation, which seems really interesting, but it needs to get its tutorial in in order. It feels very much like it wants to mechanically be a Papers, Please-esque game, one of those games where you are doing a repetitive and increasingly complicated task, and you're trying to do it well enough that you can afford to keep surviving while the story of dystopia happens around you. In this case, you work for a company and your current job is sorting genetic samples into tubes, and... The game is deliberately vague about what those genetic samples are being used for, but like, let's let's be real, probably it's gonna be eugenics or something. But like, you're doing your very Papers, Please-esque tasks of, okay, today's task is the samples with this logo on need to be scanned and put in the tube, the rest of them just get put in the tube, but these ones go in the, in the, in the throwaway tube, and that's your task for the day, do it quick, get money so you can pay for rent so that you can keep progressing. Narratively and tonally, I really like what it's going for. It plays around with, um, you've got a bit of downtime in between each of the days of sorting genetic samples, and the game, in the very short section of it I I played around with, included such things as, you will get in trouble if between in-game days you don't uh, take part in mandatory gaming time because studies have shown that you'll be a more productive worker if you use some of your free time in the way we have ascribed for you to have mandated fun, for example. Oh, hello. Right? Yeah. It's got a neat vibe to it. The big problem I have with it is that the tutorial does not explain its own mechanics very well at all. I had to keep turning to the person on the booth and being like, can you explain this to me? Because this is what it is saying on screen and I'm doing it and it's not working. So it needs to get its tutorial sorted out and made more clear. But once I understood the core mechanics, it is... What What if Papers, Please wasn't about a fascist state, but it was about a, a nation that was, it seems like probably corpor- a corporate-owned nation that you are trying to survive within while doing mundane tasks. It seems pretty neat. Yeah. One of them I started playing, and it turns out the game is out now, and I need to put more time into it this week, is a game called Railbound. It is a puzzle game about making train carriages connect to a train in the correct order by laying down train tracks. So like, oh, I want this one that's got a number two on it needs to needs to be the last one to connect to the train. I'll give it a more winding, circuitous route so that it takes longer to get onto the main track so that it'll connect up at the end rather than in the wrong order. It's a really sweet little puzzle game. The trains are driven by dogs, little cartoon dogs. They're very cute. Into it. Nearly done with my rattling through stuff I saw for like 10 minutes that seemed interesting. Blink and the Vacuum of Space is a VR game that has been developed by a charity with the explicit aim of making a VR game that is as accessible as possible to a wide range of autistic players. A lot of the stuff they have talked about sounds very promising, but is not in the build of the game that I played. And as such, I want to be very clear up front that I've heard a lot of interesting things and I've got my eyes on it. None of this was in the game, and as such, take that with a pinch of salt. But 
they were doing a lot of talking about having sliders to control uh, levels of certain colours, uh, vibrancy, saturation of specific colours, sliders for specific sounds, if there's specific sounds that are going to be overwhelming, having a SOS button on the player at all times that they can just press to just be put in a quiet, no visual, no auditory sensory space until they are ready to re-engage. Like, a bunch of stuff that sounds very promising that is currently all very promising promises. So I've got my eyes on it, but, like, bear in mind I'm largely going off very interesting-sounding conversations around it. And the last one I tried in my big batch of trying a bunch of demos this week was uh, I got to try out that Sonic Frontiers. Oh! That big open-world Sonic game. Wait, wait, Laura. Yeah? It's not (laughs) open-world. Sorry. It's got open zones. So I wouldn't know. There were no open zones in the tra- in the demo I played. It was a very linear demo. And gotcha. is that a public? Uh, it not not on like the online stores. It was at EGX oh, gotcha. at this convention I went to for a couple of days. But uh, yeah. So the I can't speak to the quality of the big open areas, but I did get some experience with some slightly wider areas and. You know how Sonic games continually will have interesting ideas and then just fumble the execution. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the genre trademark. That's like yeah. their their trademark, right? That's iconic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm genuinely kind of interested in in what they're trying to do here, and I can't promise it's going to be good, but I want to talk about the things that seem promising. So the main stuff. Largely, this feels like a three, like in its more linear areas, it feels like a 3D Sonic game. It plays quite nicely. It looks quite nice. Two things I really like about how it handles sort of linear areas. It doesn't do that thing that Sonic games so often do where they encourage you to go super fast and then hit you with something you couldn't have seen coming and go, ha ha ha, you've been punished for going fast. Right. The cool thing you want to do. It is very deliberately, there is stuff if you slow down and look around. Like, you might find a cool loop-de-loop and we'll reward you for having looked around, but if you want to go fast, we're not going to punish you for that, and you will still get where you're going. You'll just do it fast rather than whatever cool sideway you find. Going super, super fast is tied to holding a button down, and as a result, crossing open-world big spaces can be done very quickly, but when you get into platforming, it just slows the fuck down and controls like a platformer should, and not I'm trying to keep a thing from moving very fast while I'm trying to make precise little jumps. It feels like a more sensible way of approaching having slow, thoughtful platforming in a Sonic game. The combat feels surprisingly weighty. You know, in most 3D Sonic games, you are largely just jump up in the air and dash at every enemy and they die in a hit or two and you keep sprinting on. There were areas in this where I would face individual enemies that I was having to do like, ah, I've recognized your wind up. I'm going to do a a well-timed dodge with iframes to the side to avoid your big attack to get some hits in until your next attack wind up. It felt more thoughtful than... I'm used to Sonic combat feeling. Mm -hmm. The main thing that kind of sold me on being like, okay, maybe you've got something here, is there was a boss fight sort of toward the end of my time with this demo. And I'm going to try and explain it as best I can. I was fighting against a big cylinder made of various levels, 
that were all just like spinning blades. So like big circular spinning blades stacked on top of each other. There's a head at the top of it. I'm trying to fight. The thing that made that fight really interesting is that it was sort of... uh, I've not stopped until now to think about how to explain this. Have you ever watched a fight scene in an anime, like a Dragon Ball Z, where the characters are like literally flying through the sky and then bouncing together for a couple of hits? And then just punch, 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 or like the Fist of the North Star, ratatatata, yeah. Yeah, they they break away a bit and then dash back in and do their big yeah. clashes. It had that kind of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looked that way from the trailers. Yeah, like a lot of the big boss enemies, um, like the, the the couple that I saw in the demo very much had this feel of... You cut. You come in close, and you do your like try and do a circuit around it with your new ability to knock out a layer or whatever, and then the enemy will try and get some distance to get in a big attack, but you've got your hold down to sprint button, so you can sort of go. I see you trying to get distance to do a big attack. I'll sprint in, keep the pressure up. It made use of a big space to fight this boss in in a way that felt. It felt like it was making sensible use of the fact that Sonic as a character can go fast, in in that it was setting up enemies where it's like, if you let me get far enough away from you, I will do a big, cool, powerful thing. You'd better use your speed to keep up and keep the close combat pressure on. And that was kind of interesting. There There are definitely things in this that work and that feel interesting, and I'm very curious if that will stay true when I get to the definitely not an open world open zones. Having watched footage of this, I had no interest in checking it out, and having played some of this demo, it could still turn out to be terrible, but it feels a lot more promising than I was giving it credit for, and I will probably check it out now. Okay. Like, I was going to check it out anyway, because it's a Sonic game, and I check them out. Like, I hate how Sega reinvents the wheel every single fucking time. Exactly. Find something that kind of works and stick with it and refine it, you know? But They had that. They had that with Lost World. Yes, right? That game wasn't perfect, but with refinement, if they'd stop and refine a single one of their fucking ideas, they'd probably have something great. Yeah, I, there's a lot of questions I still have about Frontiers, but at the very least, I suspect it will be one of the ones where I go, yeah, this is all right. If you stick with it, you can make something good. There is definitely interesting things going on in this one. Uh, what about you both? Have either of you played anything else this week? I think that's pretty much it for me. Yeah, I have one more then. Yeah? One that I cannot say enough good things about. Um, it is called Proteus, and it's fucking great. It is a first-person shooter, another one that is like those ones. The ones that are very heavily inspired by Doom to the point where you could pretty much call them a, a replication. Um, with old-school graphics, it's got, like, sprites for for enemies although you can actually change some settings to have them as 3d models which is interesting um very pixely gorgeous art style actually for something that is so heavily pixelated to the point of being kind of jarring the very sparse few frame animations are somehow exquisite it's deliciously juicy despite everything being pixely the way the walls get painted in enemy blood you shoot anything at point blank range with a shotgun and it just jibs to all fuck. And then the blood goes on the walls and then on the ceiling and it all drips down. Um, someone on Twitter said, like, you can tell which part of the map you've already been on by whether or not it's painted Splatoon like uh, <laughs> with enemy blood. And it's just so smooth gameplay wise. 
I'm playing it on PS5. The way it plays on a controller is, aside from the fact you have to hold the stick in to run rather than click, which is always a, a, an irritant of mine, aside from that, the rest of it's perfect. It just plays perfectly. I have played quite a few of these. I think they call them boomer shooters now. I don't <laughs> like that term. I don't like that term. I don't like that either, because no, no fucking boomer was playing Doom. No, no. But yeah, it's it's got that sort of vibe. I played a lot of them. Many of them do sort of the hard equals good game design thing. Uh, this game gets pretty fucking challenging uh, on normal. Uh, it starts off pretty easy, but when you're as deep into it as I am, like it, then it gets pretty challenging. But it's got multiple difficulty levels, both sort of heading towards ultra easy and then the other way into ultra hard. So, you know, you'll find a setting. Really cool weapons, you know, you got your shotgun, your super shotgun, like I said, it's shameless. A big electricity cannon, plasma gun. It's not ashamed to be like Doom. Mm. It's like, uh, what was it called, Nightmare of Decay or something? The one where it's like, yeah, we're Resident Evil. We're an indie Resident Evil. We don't give a fuck how obvious it is. And there's a certain shameless where you get away with it. And, And Proteus is on that. And it just plays sublimely so gory and really nice level design looks visually cool yeah i'm so into it so into it um my one main criticism would be i'd actually prefer it if it had a few less one-to-one doom things like in terms of enemies you've got enemies that are the zombie soldiers ones that are the fireball imps ones that are the cacodemons it's like a bit Mm. i don't mind structurally being shamelessly doom the enemies being almost made up of pure doom copies is a little bit of a shame it's not enough to stop me enjoying the game at all but i think I'd, i'd i'd appreciate some more original monster designs um but aside from that like God, this game had me... I, I I bought it yesterday, and I played it all day. Like, all day. It's been a while since I played one of them games where it's like, I really need to get up for a piss. And then an hour later, I'm like, okay, I have to now. I, I'm, I can't hold it off any longer. Just a real hyperfixation game. Yeah, love it. Fucking love it. Oh, really good. Yay. And that's everything I played. Uh, the only other thing I will, like, very quickly skim over is uh, literally, like, an hour before we, well, we had to delay recording the podcast today, and I had, like, an extra hour to spend, so I spent it starting playing Shovel Knight Dig. Ah! Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm interested. I'm interested. It's on Apple Arcade, and available to buy for 25 quid on consoles, which kind of put me off a bit. I, I, I gave it a try, and here's what I can tell you about it so far. It's Shovel Knight, but you're doing the sort of, like, Digging, digging down, sort of, sort of gameplay, exploring a very vertical environment um, with your shovel. It's not entirely always underground. You're not like digging constantly, constantly, constantly. You get down to like little caverns where you will do some shovel knightish combat. You will have choices to make about which paths to take as you go down this sort of roguelike randomly or procedurally generated uh, series of levels. The thing that's sticking with me most so far is that the game really commits to constantly having multiple things you could go for, and you have to just commit to going for one, and by the time you see how that pays out, and, you know, and have committed to doing so, 
you can't dig upwards. Right. So you, once you've gone down, you've gone down. You will constantly be passing things that you cannot get to because you chose to go after something else. And it very much expects you to go follow what you find interesting and what seems good for your build or for the sort of run you're having. But don't beat yourself up trying to get 100% of everything because we're going to repeatedly remind you that just isn't going to be possible. Mm -hmm. It is visually very pretty. Um, There's a lot of like very small gameplay things that I've been really enjoying, such as... You know, Shovel Knight's got the ability to let you jump up in the air and then hit an enemy below you with your shovel pointing downwards. In this, if you jump as you're coming down, that shovel's automatically pointing down. It's it, it's just assumed if you're that you might want to be shovel dropping on things, and it goes with that sort of assumption. There's a lot of things that just like we're, we're gonna get out of your way so that you can just get to killing things, digging, making choices about upgrades, keeping and going down. I'm having a lot of fun with it so far, but granted, I've played like an hour of it, so I'm going to keep going with it, but my first impressions are pretty positive. Yeah, shall we do a couple of newsy bits before we finish up today? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Treat ourselves. Well, let's start with the the uh, the continued saga of the Grand Theft Auto 6 hacking situation. So you know where we left this last week, where... Uh, Someone had leaked like 90 plus videos of an in-development Grand Theft Auto 6, claimed to have the source code of the game, or at least parts of the source code, and maybe they were going to put them online, seemed to be trying to get Rockstar to contact them to discuss this. And I I seem to recall saying that this person was going to meet a swift uh, end at the hand of authorities. Yes. Yes. So we (laughs) talked about it last week and we're like, hey... The FBI's involved looking for this person. Fun fact, not the FBI that found them, because they're based over in the UK, it seems. Ah. A 17-year-old was arrested in connection to the hacking of the, the GTA 6 materials. Details are light, because this person is under 18, but we do know... I'm just having a look through. So we know it's a 17-year-old from Oxfordshire, very quickly found, uh, has been charged with computer misuse and breaching bail conditions. And we don't know what this suspect was on bail for, but we do know that they have previously been in trouble over hacking. Oh no. And it sure seems like if you connect the dots, they might have previously gotten in trouble for hacking big corporations. And while on bail, may have been told either don't use computers and the internet while you're on bail, or don't hack people while you're on bail. <laughs> and that might be why he's getting in trouble for breaking bail conditions. That's a real Chad move. Yeah. Right? Like, you're on bail, don't hack. What do you do? You hack. Yeah. You hack bigger. That's. Yeah. That is. That's yeah. some alpha shit. Yeah. I mean, that is someone just so into hacking. Right? That he just can't help himself. Right. So, yeah, so we have a little bit of information on, like, the the, the, the breach of bail stuff in that uh, previously he'd been charged with computer misuse. He'd had hacking charges uh, against both uh, involving Microsoft and Samsung earlier this year. So, like, if this person is the person that did it, he definitely is not... He's going for the big targets. He's painting a target on his back. Hey, you know what? 
Like most things, I encourage people to follow their dreams while they're young, especially if those dreams will come with a much stronger sentence after the age of 18. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So a bit more information. The only other thing we really know is that um, over, over the weekend, he appeared in court and he has pled not guilty to the charge of computer misuse. But he has pled guilty to breaching bail conditions. Okay. So <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Always keep him guessing. I'm gonna make a guess here, and this is this is what I uh, pure conjecture, I think this is what went down. No no no, officer. I did use the computer and the internet, that thing that you told me not to do, but I definitely didn't use it for hacking. Yeah. Honest, honest. I know that I was banned from using internet-connected devices, and I did do that, but I swear I didn't hack. I just really wanted to play trombone champ. (laughs) So yeah, we don't know any specifics right now. Um, This person is is in detention, and we might hear more in the future. Like... (laughs) It really did not take long for this person to... Nope. It really... It took about as long as we expected before this happened, because you, the second they said, oh, this went unexpectedly viral, I was like, oh, you, if if true, you have no idea what you've brought yeah. down upon yourself on this one. Yeah. Speaking of people who... Uh, I was going to try and do a segue, and I don't know where that segue was going to go. Yves Gamow's got more bullshit to say this week. Mm-hmm. Has he got um, any... Ad- Mission of what he knew about the years of abuse that went on at his company? Uh, no, no. Well, I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe in a side log reference way. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, he's certainly referencing the fact that things went badly at Ubisoft in a sort of side-eyed way. Eve's Gimo got in a little, bit, got a little bit of a side eye this week after making comments suggesting that um, you need to create, you need a bit of friction. What? You need a bit of friction what? to 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 have a company that's that makes things creatively. That is a terrible, just a terrible word choice in so many ways. Yeah. Considering the issues that have abounded at Ubisoft. Yeah. A bit of friction, like what? Like project leaders shouting and screaming at people. Now that's got to be translated because he spoke. He was speaking to a French publication, so yeah. So he was speaking to um, a French publication called La Presse. Um, I will read the translated quote. He he has responded. He has not quibbled that being translated as um, a, a a bit of tension or a bit of friction. He's given more context, and we'll get to that in a minute. But. Yeah, even apparently, even in French, it very much gave it gave us across the same sort of really, really, with your company in this state, you're going to say that. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 English translated statement uh, I'm grabbing from Eurogamer: uh, techniques must be put in place to ensure that everyone succeeds in finding their place. To create, you need a little friction because everyone has to succeed in getting their ideas across. The suggestion being that. You know, a bit of shouting at employees, shouting at each other is important sometimes. Yeah, that. Well, that's yes. It's it's necessary for you to use unhealthy, uh, aggressive, and um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, antagonistic techniques in the office in order to succeed uh, in getting the merits of your idea to be clear to other people. Because, yeah, that makes sense. It can't just be that you are presenting 
argumentatively the best scenario. Maybe you aren't. Maybe that's the problem. And maybe you shouldn't fucking shout. So I, I'm going to I'm going to read to you his clarified version and we'll see whether we think this sounds any better for him. When I spoke of there sometimes being friction, I was thinking of the creative tension that is common and vital in innovative companies like ours, where people have the freedom to challenge ideas and to have heated but healthy debates. What? Whoa. What? Who? Who is there setting the health standard? Curiosity asks me. I mean, I mean, look, look, it, it, it can't go wrong because as he says, to prevent this tension from becoming negative or to address it if it does, that's where strong policies, values, and corresponding procedures are essential. None of which you had. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Or, or have presently <laughs> as far as I am aware. Yeah. I, I could, I am not privy to the inner workings of Ubisoft. I mean, everything we've been hearing from a better Ubisoft suggests... No, those haven't been put in place. Basically, fucking nothing's changed. Oh, that's right. That's right, because frequently employees of Ubisoft are saying nothing's changing. That's right. Mm-hmm. But it's healthy. Yeah. We, we got a couple of other stories quickly, though. We don't have to end on Ubisoft this week. Thank fuck. So, you know, we talked a little while ago about uh, Readpop had acquired E3. Yeah. Uh, and this is a company that runs things like PAX events and very consumer-focused stuff. Yep. We now have a bit more of a sense of what their plans are for E3 next year. And I'm not going to say it's it's good. I'm not going to, you know, cheer from the rafters. But at the very least, the first thing they have said is less bad than I anticipated it would be. E3 2023 seemingly is going to move to a Gamescom model where they have about three days at the start of the show that is entirely just for press and industry, and then after that they will have a, a couple of weekend days that are for the public. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad for this, actually. Honestly, honestly, yes. This is about the best, like, first, first foot forward they could put in terms of making that show workable, and I am honestly kind of surprised to hear Reed Pop walking back from like i thought they were gonna go full steam ahead with the direction e3 a couple of years ago sounded like it was going yeah i was uh obviously concerned about it having become an exclusively full public event mm. i didn't think that was likely because i think that the people involved see too much merit in having a clear line of sight to press and and trapping them in a room because let's not forget, one of the most valuable things you can do in terms of in engaging, getting your message out, is putting someone in a place that they can't really escape from for, like, an hour. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree, but, like, just looking at Reed Pop's portfolio, I was not confident in them steering that ship away from that direction, and... Yeah, yeah. So it also seems like the other thing they're going to be doing is that even when it opens up generally to the public, there will still remain industry-only areas and there will be space for having meetings and seeing things even during the, the, the public days, which again, very much the Gamescom model. And for all that I would never recommend going to Gamescom on the public days, it's a setup that works. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the last thing we got on the list this week, and this is what I wanted to talk about just because I have a bit of insight and wanted to sort of chime in on a bit. Did either of you catch this uh, rumour going around this week that had to be debunked about um, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice 2 using AI as voice actors? Okay. Uh, I mean, I've heard a lot of buzz about AI uh, voice actors. I mean, a lot of that was going around with the NFT shit, but not specifically Senua's Sacrifice. So the thing with with the Senua's Sacrifice sequel is that a company that makes AI voice actor tech listed the developer, uh, the developer Ninja Theory, on their website of clients that use our software, and a bunch of people on the internet panicked and went, "Oh God, are you not using human voice actors anymore? You're just gonna fake voices using AI. This sounds terrible." And the, the 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 folks at Ninja Theory like uh, very much shot that down and uh, explained that they use AI generated voice work for placeholder content, and that is something that like again with like the GTA Six leaks where a lot of people were looking at that those going oh this looks terrible, you know not knowing how games work. I wanted to talk a little bit about this because. I've done work involving very early builds of games in the past, and I can't talk too much about them, but I can certainly say I've played very early builds of games where all of the voice acting was essentially Microsoft Sam text-to-speech, mm. and it is completely in like no way surprising to me to hear that a company would use an AI voice tech to have voices put in place as placeholder to see how scenes play out and how they're paced, and that something a little more emotive and less drony than default Microsoft voice file might be useful for seeing whether a scene works or not. So yeah, don't don't panic and freak out because a game company is listed as having worked with an AI voice company. It's probably just because they need default lines to put in to see whether scenes work. Oh. Yeah, I think that that is it for the stuff this week. Well. 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 It's not the only stuff. <gasps> it's the stuff of this podcast. But there's plenty of stuff of the podcasters. Uh, Laura being a prime example of a podcaster who's on this podcast. Um, could you provide us some details on that work, please? What, me? Yes, please. Oh, well, you can find me at Laura K. Buzz in most of the places on the internet. Just Laura K. Buzz everywhere. You will find all of the things that I do. I, I, I stream on Twitch Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays at 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm Pacific. Uh, every Friday I try and upload episodes of Access Ability, which is a series over on YouTube about accessibility and game design. Go give those things a watch. Go check out the books and things that I've done. Just Laura K. Buzz. Uh, Patreons, where I'm with what pays the bills. Chuck me a dollar a month there if you can. That's fucking great. What about you, Conrad? Ah, oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can hang out with me on Twitch as I continue to watch the Alex Jones trial at twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman. That's been a pretty good time, actually. It's been pretty pleasant. Mm-hmm. I mean, apart from being heartbreaking and vile and, and yeah. Uh, oh, if you want something cute, though, I got a cat named Potato Wand, and you can see him on Instagram at One-Eyed Potato. You could buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com. And everything I do online gets supported through Patreon at 
patreon.com slash fist shark and you know who else has a patreon <gasps> james stephanie sterling oh. oh psx lilith just did um a render of commander sterling as a ps1 character Ooh. lilith um, most famous known for the for the Bloodborne PSX and the upcoming Bloodborne cart. Um, God, it looks so good. Uh, but right. it looks amazing. That does look um, good. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So fucking awesome. Um, but outside of that, you can support this show, the Jimquisition, all of that, at patreon.com slash Jimquisition. After having to rely on my phone to live stream some of the... Um, uh, Spectrum show on Saturday. I have since learned that I could have used my phone all along to live stream from my new house while I wait for the internet uh, to be set up. So perhaps this week I will get back into regular streaming at twitch.tv slash Jim Sterling. Upcoming wrestling dates October 1st, that's this weekend, Manchester, Sovereign Pro Wrestling. Uh, this is a huge, huge match. SovereignProWrestling.com tickets. Uh, this is in Manchester. Um, this will feature a Crown Cup eight-person elimination match, uh, which also features Kid Bandit and Simon Miller, um, who I, I met for the first time after knowing him for six years this past Saturday. I, as did I. It was my first time meeting him too. He's a, he's a lovely one. All right. And this coming weekend, I get to Planet Crack him. Oh. So really excited about that. October 8th, next, uh, the weekend after this weekend, I get Simon Miller one-on-one. That's in Blackpool at PCW. Buy tickets.at slash PCW, unless they've changed that link. Uh, so that's awesome. I will also be in Newcastle. Uh, no, no, no. The next one is Leeds. And I expect to see a lot of people there because that's where all the gays drink. And I get recognized every time I go out drinking in Leeds. So I better see you all there. Uh, Leeds for um, True Grit. Look them up. It's a, a company I debuted with this past week on their YouTube show. True Grit. Uh, their upcoming show, Redemption. I will be facing Nathan Black, uh, one of the most detestable heels um, at Spectrum Wrestling, as well as the North. Um, he fought Gene Money this weekend for us. And on November 4th, I'm going to be fighting him. Uh, November 12th, I'll be in Newcastle for Avant Garde's next show. And I will also be in Leicester on November 20th. Details to come for that. As you can tell, my calendar is pretty fucking full and i'm thrilled about it so yeah thank you to everyone who supported spectrum wrestling thank you to everyone who listens to and supports this show and we will see you next week where i'll be able to tell you exactly how hard i choke slammed kid bandit bye bye bye